0: This is Policy Outsider, I'm Alex Morse. On May 8th, following a directive from President Biden, the Department of Justice proposed a new rule to limit the proliferation of ghost guns, or firearms that are typically assembled in private and do not have a unique serial number. Today, we'll be speaking with Nick Simons, project coordinator for the Rockefeller Institute's Regional Gun Violence Research Consortium. Nick recently authored a policy brief for the Institute titled, Ghost Guns, A Haunting New Reality, which provides background on what ghost guns are and what policymakers at the state level are doing to clarify and strengthen policies surrounding their use. On this episode, we'll discuss what's in the new federal rule, how it may impact the use of ghost guns, and outline the next steps for finalizing the new rule. Coming up next... Simons of the Rockefeller Institute and Project Coordinator for the Regional Gun Violence Research Consortium. Nick, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me on, Alex. So President Biden has signaled that curbing gun violence is a priority for his administration. And just recently, the Department of Justice released a proposed rule updating the definition of a firearm specifically to address ghost guns. Nick, you recently wrote a policy brief on the matter for the Institute, and so we're glad to have you on to talk about your latest piece and what the new federal rule will mean for gun policy in the United States. Yeah,
1: thanks, Alex. Again, I'm, I'm happy to be here and, and happy to, to chat about what I was able to write for the Institute. I think it turned out really nicely. Uh, just as some some table setting stuff, we have a uh, gun violence dashboard that has some, some data points on, on gun violence statistics and things like that. The most recent statistics from the CDC show that gun deaths remained at a near 40-year high in 2019 with over 39,000 deaths per year. That was about 24,000 suicides and 14,000 homicides. Uh, and based on the amount of violence around the country in 2020, that number is expected to go up. Uh, so that's kind of useful context uh, when we start talking about ghost guns and how they're, they're used in crime. Similarly, uh, Nix checks, which is the, the national instant criminal background check system, uh, which are sometimes used as a proxy for gun sales, those rose from 28 million to almost 40 million between 2019 and 2020. That's a 43% increase. And in the first four months of 2021, there have already been 16 million checks. Uh, so it's clear that people you know, are continuing to buy firearms. Um, and it's, it's likely that now that this proposed rule is, is coming out, people will again, try to get ahead of the curve and, and, and try to get as many firearms as they can before the, the new regulations. Come out.
0: What, what is the attributing factor? Why are people going out to buy more guns? I think that's a combination
1: of a lot of factors. Uh, like I said, as, it, as people start to see more federal action on firearms, they start to get worried that it will make it harder to, to, to buy firearms. I don't know if there's necessarily one contributing factor, but as it relates to, to ghost guns, at least, there's definitely a feeling that as new federal regulations comes down, it's going to affect how current buyers um, are purchasing ghost guns, and it it could we could see a, a surge between when the proposed rule comes out now and and when it's actually final.
0: So then let's pick up on ghost guns. Then there you mentioned they're a growing problem. Why are ghost guns a problem? Why is the Department of Justice and President Biden focused on addressing this? Sure. So broadly, ghost guns. Uh, For folks who may not have yet read the brief or may
1: not be familiar, um, ghost guns are broadly untraceable firearms usually made in the home that don't have unique serial numbers like traditional firearms do. Without a serial number, the law enforcement agencies, uh, police departments are typically unable to identify the manufacturer, the retailer, the owner of that particular firearm if it's recovered in a crime. There's several different types of ghost guns. The the two that we're going to be talking about today that are most frequently discussed are 3D printed guns and guns made from pieces called 80% lowers, which are usually included in these these homemade weapons kits. Ghost guns are sold by unlicensed dealers, usually online. There's no background checks required with their purchase. They're far cheaper than purchasing a traditional firearm through a licensed dealer. New York alone has seen a 480% increase in ghost guns recovered in crime over the last three years. Uh, Starting at just 38, uh, ghost guns recovered in 2018 and jumping up to 220 last year in 2020. It's a a big jump. It's 480%. Um, Plenty of other states have seen similar increases. But in this proposed rule um, from Biden's Department of Justice, uh, they estimate that ghost gun recoveries across the nation um, are up 400% in the last five years and that 400 ghost guns have been used in in homicides across the country during that time. So um, with the proposed rule that we'll talk about today, they're hoping to fill in some of those gaps.
0: So ghost guns are guns that you can buy Pieces individually or separately and privately assemble them in the home. Uh, You mentioned that they lack a couple of qualities of traditional firearms, kind of like a serial number, right? So walk us through the importance of a serial number.
1: Yeah, so there's legislation on the books that mandates all uh, firearms made domestically and firearms that are imported are are required to have a serial number. That's the Gun Control Act of 1968, passed by Johnson, initially prompted by the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963 and then subsequently by the assassinations of Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy in 1968. Uh, The law broadly regulated interstate and foreign commerce of firearms and created a list of prohibited persons that were restricted from possessing firearms. It established the Federal Firearm License System, uh, the FFL, that licensed companies and individuals to sell firearms. And to your question, it mandated that all firearms that were imported or newly manufactured domestically by these licensed manufacturers should bear a serial number. The serial number is absolutely crucial in criminal investigations and can tell law enforcement a great deal about the weapon. Um, as stated previously, it, it allows the you know uh, investigating body to connect the firearm that's recovered to the manufacturer who made the gun, the retailer who sold it and the first owner uh, of that gun and then any subsequent transfers uh, should there be any. But to this day, that legislation, the Gun Control Act of of 1968, is the most substantial piece of federal law on gun violence. Um, and it was enacted 53 years ago now. So a lot's changed since then. Firearm technology has changed since then. So it's, uh, it's good to see more federal action.
0: So in your policy brief for the Rockefeller Institute, you explained that there are two different types of ghost guns, and we've mentioned them here on the podcast already. It was the 3D printed gun. And what Uh, another form called 80% Lowers. Can you explain what both of those are?
1: Sure. So uh, just briefly, 3D printed guns are what they sound like. They're firearms made with commercially available 3D printers. If you're making a firearm in your home using one, all you really need is the computer code to feed into your machine, the instructions, essentially. Here in New York, our Attorney General Tish James has been very active in restricting the sale and download of these codes, as have other AGs. With that said, 3D printed guns aren't necessarily as prevalent in crime as 80% lowers are. Uh, In the last three years, authorities in New York State haven't recovered any 3D printed guns in crimes. Um, They've all been these 80% lowers. So what those are, these 80% lowers are the key piece uh, that are included in homemade weapons kits. The 80% lower itself is an unfinished frame or receiver, basically the lower half of a handgun or a long gun, but one that's unfinished. So if that frame or receiver was finished, it would be considered a firearm by the ATF under existing regulation. That is before we talk about this proposed rule. The ATF is the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and it's the federal agency that regulates firearms as part of the Justice Department. These unfinished frames and receivers have not yet reached uh, what they call the stage of manufacture to be considered firearms. So like we said at the top, they don't require serial numbers. They're just parts. The process of turning these unfinished parts into a firearm is quite simple. It's drill a few holes, buy some other pieces of the firearm like the trigger, and then assemble it in your home. In most cases, it can take less than an hour. And after that, the assembler has a fully functioning firearm that's reminiscent of a traditional firearm without a serial number. So the bottom line is that when apart, these pieces aren't yet considered firearms, but can easily be turned into one um, when assembled. And this is one of the areas that the new proposed rule addresses quite comprehensively
0: and we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah. No wonder you mentioned, I think you said it was an estimated increase in 400% of ghost guns. Yeah, no. So in
1: the, in the proposed uh, rule that was released, they included data from 2016, uh, all the way up to 2020 that showed, um, about a 400% increase in ghost gun recoveries nationally. And that was the first time that at least I was seeing a, a national number. We were lucky to have some state findings, but the ATF had had not yet come out and said how many ghost guns they had seen, you know, recovered in in crime. And what I think is important here is that we don't have a lot of data on on ghost guns and how many are in circulation, right? Even that data that was released is just these ghost guns that are recovered in crimes. There's nothing available about how many ghost gun kits are sold or how many are made. Uh, It's only when they're recovered by law enforcement that people know that they exist. Traditional firearms with serial numbers, on the other hand, can be traced from the moment that they're manufactured, and you can, you can see exactly where that gun has been. You can trace the entire process, which is, what, um, which is what happens in a criminal investigation. It's what happens when law enforcement, you know, find a firearm on the ground and they need to, you know, attach it to a, a suspect.
0: Okay, so thanks, Nick, for, you know, defining the problem surrounding ghost guns. Let's move on to this new proposed rule from the Department of Justice. About a month ago, President Biden announces executive actions to regulate ghost guns and curb gun violence. What happens next?
1: Well, so he announced several things. He announced a large investment in community violence interventions. He ordered his Department of Justice to publish model red flag laws, extremist protection orders uh, for states that don't already have them to take them up and make their own state legislation. He nominated David Shipman uh, as director of the ATF, which is an A federal agency that's been 15 years without a permanent director. So that would be a big step. Uh, He announced a new ATF annual report on gun trafficking. It's been 20 years since the last report at that level. And most importantly, as we've been talking about here, um, he ordered the Justice Department to publish a proposed rule on ghost guns, which they released over the weekend. From a high level, that proposed rule amends the ATF regulation that defines a firearm to include ghost guns and more specifically to include these at home weapons kits. Um, important to note here. Compared to what you can do legislatively, executive action is far more limiting on gun violence, just in terms of the amount of problems you can solve. That's what's really interesting about this proposed rule, I think, is that it's one of the things you can do, and it's really impactful. So what might the immediate impact be for this new rule? The goal of the the rule itself is to reduce gun violence. and, as ghost guns become increasingly used in crime, one way to stop that usage is to impose restrictions on manufacturers, sellers, buyers, et cetera, uh, every piece of the equation. With this proposed rule, manufacturers of ghost guns must now be licensed under that FFL system that I mentioned earlier. Um, so you're you're asking about the impact. I'll walk you through just a few pieces of the the proposed rule and and um, talk about it that way. Sellers must now keep their sales records indefinitely, whereas, before these unlicensed manufacturers and online sellers didn't have to keep or report their sales records. So authorities really had no idea who these parts were going to. Unfinished frames and receivers, the parts sold in these kits, these 80% lowers, um, must now have a serial number as they're considered firearms following this amendment to the definition. That helps law enforcement to trace these weapons all the way back to manufacturers. That's what happens when they're found in a crime is that you can go to the ATF as a police department and, and track the gun back to its inception. Uh, and that was something you couldn't do with ghost guns. So that's, that's huge, that's a big impact. Because they're now required to be sold through an FFL, a federally firearms licensed dealer, the buyers of these kits must pass a background check. The absence of a background check was one of the main selling points beforehand for these online vendors. Serialization and some of the other requirements extend to firearms produced using additive manufacturing, Uh, which is a professional way of saying uh, 3D printing. So a lot of the provisions that I just spoke about also apply to 3D printed guns. And the rule also updates some outdated definitions of items in the the gun violence space, uh, terms that hadn't been updated since 1968, things like uh, redefining gunsmiths and frames and receivers and silencers to align more closely with new technology. Um, Because as I said, it's been 53 years. So there were a lot of pieces to that bill that needed tweaks and and updating, so the impact is, uh, it's going to be big. I mean, well, there's there's existing state laws that that now the, this federal regulation will be uh, doing similar things, right? So so if an existing state law says you need to serialize your your weapons kits, now that's going to be the same for all states. Now the federal government is getting involved, so it's a it's a big it's a big impact.
0: And it's a relatively large and wide sweeping rule. They did a nice job. So it sounds like this rule mandating manufacturers have to include serial numbers or that sellers have to keep their records for who mm-hmm. they sell it to, that's really going to aid law enforcement in being able to track down who's using firearms, who's committing gun crimes. But how will this impact the law-abiding citizens making their own firearms at home? Yeah, so I'll, I'll address both parts of the question. Quickly, again, on, on law enforcement, um, this makes their work
1: a lot easier. Uh, I already mentioned the tracing technique, but once they have information on the owner, they can connect a gun that's recovered in a crime to a suspect in a criminal investigation um, before they would have trouble discerning whose weapon it was at all, right? This gives them some place to start. It can also identify firearm traffickers. So if you see that lots of weapons recovered in New York are consistently traced back to North Carolina or Georgia, um, law enforcement can then start identifying persons or dealers connected with those illegally trafficked firearms. so broadly, it can it can help uh, in in determining larger networks of of firearm movement. To put that into context, before this, ATF was only able to complete traces on one hundred and fifty one of the twenty four thousand privately made firearms, which is another way to say homemade firearms, uh, that they recovered since two thousand and sixteen. So that's less than one percent. Uh, now that this proposed rule uh, will be final, they'll be able to trace nearly all of them. And you also asked about uh, folks making firearms at at home. Broadly. So at the federal level, it's legal to make firearms at home for your personal use, uh, if not for sale or distribution. DOJ made it very clear that nothing in this rule would preclude persons who are not prohibited to do so from making their own unmarked firearms at home for personal use. So now that these kits are to be serialized, people interested in making unserialized firearms at home for personal use would have to buy more granular pieces um, and do a bit more work. However, this is where states can come in and propose stricter regulation if needed. In fact, several states with existing ghost gun laws already restrict that that practice to some extent.
0: Okay, so sticking at the federal level then, what happens next with this proposed rule? So
1: that's a good question. So once the rule is finally posted to the federal register, the public will have 90 days to comment. Um, People can either offer suggestions to improve the rule or they can argue against it. 90 days is longer than usual. Um, it's usually only a month or two, which means I assume they they expect lots of, of comments. Um, the public can submit comments through an online platform directly to the agency. Uh, it's also more common now for agencies to host webcasts to solicit feedback. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if DOJ and ATF did, did something like that. Um, after that, the Department of Justice needs to change the rule uh, if they receive a certain amount of comments that are substantive and they feel they need to do so. Uh, they will. And then once that amendment process is is over, uh, the rule will become final after 30 days of that amend- amendment process being concluded. There's no real way to um, calculate what that might be. It'll
0: be based on the comments that come in, but broadly, we're looking at a, a fall timeline. What other actions could be taken between now and then to supplement, augment, or even detract from the ruling?
1: Yeah. so So federally, Congress could pass legislation further restricting the purchase possession of ghost guns. though looking at other gun violence legislation being considered like universal background checks, it's not clear to me that the Senate is willing to pass legislation like this. Um, that said, there have been efforts in the past to legislate ghost guns, most notably in the 2019 2020 session, uh, but those bills didn't make it out of committee, so in all likelihood, I think this is the extent of
0: federal action at this time. All right, so now let's look at the state level. What are some states doing and what what moves are they making to strengthen these uh, gun policies surrounding ghost guns specifically? Yeah, so as it stands, eight states and D.C.
1: have already enacted laws addressing ghost guns in some manner. Uh, In 2021, uh, eight state legislatures have, have already introduced bills on ghost guns, including some of those states that had already had laws on the books looking to strengthen them. Virginia was the first state to regulate ghost guns, specifically plastic firearms or 3D-printed weapons all the way back in 2004. Um, As recently as last year, Hawaii, D.C., Rhode Island, uh, they all passed new ghost guns laws uh, in 2020. And a good amount of what is in these state laws will now be in the federal regulation with the new rule. Things like serializing unfinished frames and receivers, requiring background checks on purchasers. Um, But some go further. D.C. bans the registration, sale, and possession of all ghost guns. Uh, So, it'll be interesting to see if these states amend their definitions of ghost guns now that many of the kits will be considered firearms at the federal level. Uh, Here in New York, there are two bills that have passed the Senate each of the last two sessions. Um, One is the Scott J. Beagle Unfinished Receiver Act, um, and the other is the Jose Webster Untraceable Firearms Act. So, those those bills do um, similar things. They redefine gunsmiths, they require the serialization of these 80% lowers, and they require their registration with the Division of State Police. And it's something that could meaningfully reduce the number of ghost guns in New York and and subsequently their frequent use in in crime. It'll be interesting to see what the interplay of the new federal regulation is with some of these um, state laws that have not yet been fully passed. As I mentioned, uh, nine states already have some on the books, but it'll be interesting to see how um, state legislatures react to the federal action and, and to see how it can be supplemented. I think there's another avenue to to briefly discuss as well, which is that in Pennsylvania they did something a little bit different. Their Attorney General Josh Shapiro issued a legal interpretation of existing laws, um, existing state laws in Pennsylvania that would expand the definition of firearms to include ghost guns. So rather than having the state legislature pass a new bill, they just tweak the laws that were already on the books. Um, this could be an interesting avenue to consider for states where the legislature may be hesitant to act beyond this federal rule. But it's definitely um,
0: yeah, it's a different avenue. It's a different way to go after it. Now, when you say they tweaked the laws, do you mean they issued guidance so there's there's room?
1: for No, interpretation? the the state attorney or- general uh, issued a legal opinion, basically, uh, saying that the way that our laws are written, it can now extend to, because I, I believe in Pennsylvania, their their law defines firearms to include frames and receivers. So basically, all they did by issuing a legal opinion was include the word unfinished in front of frames and receivers. I'm not exactly sure how the process works if, if the AG can just write it and then it becomes active, but essentially the, the long and short of it is that they the existing laws without having to go through a legislative process to include these homemade firearms. Gotcha.
0: Thank you. So you've helped set the stage for what the problem is and what's going on at the federal level and what some states are doing, the different approaches to trying to curb gun violence. But as with any type of policy, there's always going to be some unforeseen challenges. What might they be in this gun policy world? Yeah, specifically with this proposed rule, I think
1: that'll be interesting to see. With any federal action, either legislation or regulation, you're always going to have to consider the gaps. Um, You know, what areas of this this issue are not fully addressed by the actions being taken? This proposed rule is, uh, I've said it before, it's pretty comprehensive, more so than I was expecting. The Department of Justice and the ATF were... Um, frankly, smart to update some of the antiquated definitions of firearm parts to include new technologies, but that's a key point. What about new technologies that aren't in frequent use right now? Um, It was 53 years since the Gun Control Act of 1968 for them to update some of these. Will it be another 53? I I hope not if, if new technologies emerge. Will 3D printing technology change as a way to avoid this new rule? Are there pieces of the ghost gun issue that will only be revealed during Implementation. I think now that folks know this rule won't be final for several months, will there be increased demand for ghost guns before the new regulation starts? I don't know if these challenges are necessarily unforeseen. I would I would hope that they're being considered as they as they write a, a proposed rule like this. But they're definitely something to think about. Um, and this could make for an interesting policy experiment if the gaps appear. Um, It'll likely fall to states to, to act and fill them um, rather than DOJ drafting another rule. But we'll we'll see. Um, I think states and state and local governments can always kind of act as a, a laboratory. Um, that's the whole idea of federalism, right? You know, if, if a policy works at the state level, hopefully it's elevated. And for now, I think this is a huge step in the right direction. And I commend the Biden administration for acting and keeping one of their gun safety promises.
0: Thanks again to Nick Simons, project coordinator for the Rockefeller Institute's Regional Gun Violence Research Consortium. Check out expert analysis from the consortium's gun violence researchers by visiting our website, rockinst.org forward slash gun violence. You can also follow along with the consortium on Twitter by searching at rock research, all one word. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Morris. Until next time. Policy Outsider is presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government, the public policy research arm of the State University of New York. The institute conducts cutting-edge, nonpartisan public policy research and analysis to inform lasting solutions to the challenges facing New York State and the nation. Learn more at rockinst.org or by following Rockefeller Inst, That's I N S T on social media. Have a question, comment, or idea? email us at communications at rock.suny.edu.